This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and Jay Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams from Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court, which you can find at mayitpleasethecourt.com. And Bob? And I write a blog or two, one called Law Sites and one called Media Law, both available through LegalLine.com. And you can find uh, past uh, 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 installments of this program at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Our topic today uh, was at the top of President Bush's agenda for the last couple of years and continues to make headlines. Uh, We're going to be talking about tort reform and where it's heading in 2006. Well, Bob, President Bush attacked what he called junk lawsuits with a vengeance last year. February 2005, he signed the Class Action Fairness Act into law. Legislation moves the most complex class action lawsuits from the state courts to federal courts. And the push to limit jury awards at the state level still continues. That's right, Craig. And we're going to be uh, discussing that and and other issues with uh, our guests uh, uh, today. Uh, We have uh, a couple of people who know quite a bit about this topic. Uh, First of all, let me introduce Lori Beecham. Lori is the communications director for the Center for Justice and Democracy, an organization uh, whose role it is to educate the public about the civil justice system. Uh, Lori uh, is a, a lawyer formerly practiced in New York City and then worked as a producer for Court TV uh, before joining the center. Uh, welcome to the program, Lori Beecham. Thank you very much. Good to be here. And our other guest, Bob, today is Tiger Joyce. Mr. Joyce is the president of the American Tort Reform Association, a national coalition of some 300 nonprofit organizations, societies, and various associations. Uh, ATRA says it works in in-state coalitions to bring fairness and efficiency to the civil justice system. He is also the association's chief executive officer and a member of its board of directors. And he's been on numerous television and radio programs to discuss civil justice issues and been quoted extensively in newspapers all across the country. Welcome to the show, Tiger. Thank you very much. Let's get started about the two biggest issues coming up this year. Let's start with the obesity bill. Um, Tiger, what's going on here? Well, you've got legislation that's been enacted around the around the country at the state level, and you've also got a bill that passed the House of Representatives. And what it what it simply does uh, is it provides that litigation can't be used really as a surrogate for our other branches of government, and there can't be litigation uh, based simply on the fact that people have become uh, obese or or have health related problems because they eat. Uh, particular foods. Uh, it's what's equally important is what it doesn't do is it doesn't take away basic rights. If something is uh, is is uh, negligently or, or, or under our current product liability law doesn't isn't isn't up to standards, then that type of litigation uh, uh, would would survive. But the basic idea of that litigation can be used and, and that, that a lawsuit can stand against a, a manufacturer of food or a restaurant simply because people eat too much of a given thing uh, is something that we think is foreign, should be foreign uh, to our tort system and our civil justice system. And I think this legislation really, uh, both at the national and at the state levels, uh, uh, really just reestablishes appropriate boundaries for litigation against uh, food companies. 
But aren't you really uh, making other branches of government the surrogates for the courts when you have legislation like this? I mean, isn't it for the courts to sort out when somebody has an appropriate cause of action or not and and to decide uh, what's the appropriate way to handle a, a claim? Well, I think that certainly courts have an, an appropriate role and, and under our common law have a, a very clear set of rules about uh, when a particular product injures. If something has been uh, if it has a foreign substance in it and, and ends up causing somebody to be sick, clearly that, that falls within the, the traditional bounds of our legal system. But to say that because somebody ate a lot of food uh, at McDonald's uh, and they can recover in court, uh, for that, that's, what we're, well, that's, the, that's the underlying issue. And, and I would say, to your point, uh, yes, there is a balance, and courts have a, an enormous role, obviously as they should, a central role. But it's equally important, I think, that other branches of government through the regulatory process and otherwise, uh, have a say in the way these uh, uh, our litigation system works and our in our system of ensuring product safety works as well. Can I jump in here for a minute? Please do. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that I think that your original point and one that Mr. Joy sort of acknowledges is that this is a role. It is a role of the courts to decide what claims are legitimate. But I disagree that, you know, it's appropriate for Congress to jump in and make that kind of decision about any legal claims. I mean, I, you know, people can have differing opinions about whether somebody has a valid claim against a fast food industry for, you know, becoming obese. I mean, I'm sure there are people with strong feelings on both sides, but that's why we have courts. That's why we have juries. But what's interesting to me is that with everything going on in the world right now and everything that Congress has to deal with, that they would be devoting their time to something like this. I think it's just somewhat of a made-up problem or a made-up crisis. It's not like, you know, busloads of people are rushing to court to file so-called frivolous suits about fast food. In fact, I think the one big case everyone, you know, heard about was dismissed, and, you know, the justice system does what it's supposed to do. Um, Well, with all due respect, a major case was revived by the Second Circuit, and I think this is a an issue that's out there, and, and I, you know. But as far as Congress's role, you know, I, I think it's really, you know, people can can certainly freely express their views uh, to their to their uh, representatives, uh, and can make that point, and and can and and have a say in, in what Congress should and shouldn't do. It certainly can can express those uh, perspectives, but you know, it's it is a it's a balance of power system, uh, and Congress, I think, is generally. Uh, at least our experience is quite reluctant to get engaged uh, in these types of activities, and certainly it's our view that we're not going to become uh, advocates for something unless we really think it's a significant issue. Right. Well, yeah, I guess I would just, you know, disagree with your basic premise that that is an appropriate role for Congress. And I guess also, you know, if you're you're talking about a one one case that was revived, I mean, I don't know the merits of it, and I'm not, you know, going to argue the merits of whether these claims are valid, but Clearly, if that happened, then there was a court that decided there was a valid reason for it to be revived. So is Congress then saying that, you know, the judiciary is not capable of making those decisions? I would just throw well, that but I out think, there. But I, you have to remember also, and, and, and when it comes to this type of activity, this type of litigation has the effect of being a regulatory-type decision. Uh, if, if a court were simply to say that, yes, if somebody goes to McDonald's or goes to a particular food outlet and eats too many things and becomes ill as a result, and then a, a legal claim uh, for recovery uh, is appropriate, uh, then that's having an impact uh, indirectly or and somewhat directly on 
those on, on, the, on the process, what it, whether you think it's a good process or not, of regulating a consumer product. So it is, it is in, in, the, in the arena of, of public policy, and Congress mm-hmm. certainly uh, can and should. And Congress can choose not to become engaged. That's their prerogative as well. That's, that's the way our system works. Well, let me ask, it seemed to me that for many years tort, tort reform or, or tort deform, as some might call it, it focused on putting caps on damages uh, and attacking uh, the tort system from that avenue. And, and more recently, we've seen uh, more like you know this, this cheeseburger bill we're talking about. There was recently the, the gun industry uh, law that, that uh, immunized uh, uh, gun manufacturers from certain types of lawsuits. Is, is the tort reform movement moving more towards these sort of bans on whole classes of, of litigation? Well, I don't think, number one, I don't think you're talking about banning classes of litigation. I think what you're doing is you're talking about trying to make a judgment about where what types of cases are appropriate and which in which types of cases or under what circumstances cases cannot be brought. But as far as the, the, the arena, the, the, the tort reform agenda has become more complex. We are dealing with issues, whether it's uh, something like the cheeseburger bill or uh, if there's a state where it seems as though the courts aren't doing a, as good a job policing punitive damage awards uh, under the Supreme Court's holding, recent holdings in the last several years. Uh, then that would become a tort reform issue. So it's 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 not one for the other, but really we continue to be focusing on all of these issues. Yeah, I mean, we would sort of see it that, you know, this is sort of an ongoing wave that keeps coming, and it is coming in all shapes, shapes and sizes and forms. I mean, some of it is in the shape of caps, some of it is including whole categories of lawsuits. I mean, the asbestos bill that the trust fund that's being considered now that we're expected to hear about in the Senate very soon you know, bars all lawsuits based on asbestos claims and then has a very selected um, category of people that the trust fund would cover. I don't know how much you want to get into detail about that, but I think, yes, that is another method to get to your question that's being used by tort reformers as a way to limit people's rights is to ban whole categories of claims. And I, again, go back to the basic premise that I don't think, you know, it's up to Congress to step in and say what kind of claims are appropriate to bring and you know, to say that, well, states aren't doing their job on punitive damages or other things. I mean, toward... Well, can I ask you then a question? Then you would sure. oppose any effort by Congress to establish new rights of recovery? I would... To establish new rights? Well... In other words, a new, a new basis for recovering in a lawsuit? Because what you're saying is that anything that modifies liability and may be perceived as limiting liability, you would then argue that, that if that should be in the province of the court's then you would, uh, of course, to be intellectually honest, would have to argue that any expansion of liability would not be in the province of the Congress or a state legislature. Or am I missing the point? Well, maybe you can give me an example of how that would play out. I mean, I think people, you well, know... private rights of action, say, under state consumer, under under uh, the, the types of laws that, for example, state attorneys general and other regulators... Uh, uh, well, I think those those rights usually are established on the state level, where tort law. But that's has... not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is who would who would cre- who would expand the right to bring a case, say by a private individual. Would it be uh, what I hear you saying is that it really should be up to the courts? If it's if it is up to the courts, then then a legislature really would have no business uh, expanding uh, any kind of liability or any anything under a common law theory. Well, Laurie, take, for example, the uh, CERCLA, the um, Comprehensive Environmental uh, Reclamation Liability Act. 
Recovery Act that expanded liability to anyone who uh, contaminated a property is joint and several and strict liability. That was Congress stepped in and dramatically changed the tort law and expanded it and made practically anybody who was who even owned or touched a piece of property that was contaminated responsible for cleaning it up. You know, I'm sorry that I, I'm not that familiar with that particular legislation, and, uh, and please forgive me for that. But I would say that Congress is in the business of protecting our rights, and if if there were certain situations where it came out that it we were verifying that people had the right to bring it, I don't think it's creating a new right. I'm sure what they're saying is that that right already exists, but I don't think that Congress is in the business of taking away people's rights. Well, tort, I mean, tort law is classically a creature of, of the common law, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a matter of one person uh, allegedly is negligent and another person allegedly has been harmed by that negligent and seeks to recover for the damages. And tort reform often seems to limit the recovery uh, that one can, can uh, obtain when one has been injured through the negligence of somebody else. Right. Well, but I, but I guess I, I still come back to my point and uh, – I think it was uh, Craig that was that had a much better example. Uh, I, I would argue that, that we would certainly argue that the courts obviously have a central role in making uh, in, in, in developing the law. But to suggest that that a legislative body has no role, if you're going to say that, then you should then you should be consistent and say that they can't expand the law uh, and leave it exclusively uh, in the province of the courts. As far as the if you look at the traditional tort reform. Agenda. I would say going back 15, 20 years, something like modifying or eliminating joint liability, that arose out of the change, judge-created judge change in, uh, in contributory negligence. We would argue that under the current system, uh, that joint liability doesn't make sense, uh, because, whereas it might have it really had a much stronger intellectual uh, foundation under, under the contributory negligence. Uh, scenario. Now, whether that's changed by the courts or by the legislature, we think it's good policy, and both have a role uh, in making it. And from a historic standpoint, uh, it's really going back to the founding of this country. It was the legislatures that vested the common law authority in the courts. And I think it's a basic uh, theory of, of that sort of uh, legal empowerment that what the legislature has, has empowered the courts to do, it has the right uh, not not unilaterally to simply turn it all upside down, but to make some some changes, uh, changes that that they feel are in the public interest. Laurie, where do you see the coming battles for 2006? Where are we headed this year? What are going to be the hot topics coming up on tort reform? Well, there are many of them. I mean, one is, like I mentioned before, the asbestos bill. I don't know, you know, if how many people are confident that it's going to pass because, um, you know, actually there are a lot of people who are opposing it who would be unlikely opposers is such a thing because the trust fund, the way it's set up right now, is, you know, so unbelievably not capable of serving the purpose it's supposed to and would really leave a lot of consumers and very sick people excluded from it. So that would be one of the things. Um, there's a bill that we are expecting to come up regarding the creation of health courts. And, um, you know, the other thing that we're seeing a lot of, which is less, you know, in the more traditional forms of tort reform is this preemption that's being promulgated by the FDA, by NHTSA, by federal agencies. You see the executive branch also stepping in where um, tort reformers have failed to make limitations in Congress come to pass. So 
there are several things that are coming up, and, you know, as we have for the last few years, we have some big uphill battles ahead of us. Tiger, what's your assessment of the year? What's, what's, what are the big battles coming down the pike? Well, I think you're going to see a lot of the, the, the issues we've seen in recent years uh, continue to be a focus, but I would offer a few others. One is uh, appeal bond reform. Uh, we think it's a, an element of fundamental fairness that when an, a, an exorbitant award comes out of a, uh, in a situation where uh, uh, the, the, a verdict comes down and we think that and, and it's uh, commonly said, well, you know, you can just go ahead and bring an appeal when the reality is in many jurisdictions you have to post a bond uh, of over 100%. Uh, we think that addressing that for all litigants, it's been done in the, uh, in the context in a number of states on, uh, in cases against the tobacco industry, uh, and states are running to the defense of the tobacco uh, uh, industry because of the uh, stream of payments they get from the master settlement agreement. We think that's good policy for everybody. We commonly hear, well, you know, a case will just be reduced on appeal. We think we ought to be able to preserve the right to both uh, uh, appeal a case and also to ensure that, that, that there isn't any uh, any misbehavior as far as running away with any kind of assets. I think that's a, a very significant issue. Here in Congress, the House passed a bill that I would think that uh, the Center for Justice and Democracy would be very supportive of because the main thing that it does is it imposes uh, uh, sanctions on those who file frivolous cases. We hear that, that's, that everybody's opposed even uh, we heard Senator Kerry talk about it in the campaign, that he was opposed and thought that there should be mandatory sanctions for frivolous claims. Well, this bill uh, would do that. That's going to come up, we believe, in the Senate very soon. Are you talking uh, about the Lawsuit Abuse Reduction the Act? The Lawsuit Abuse Reduction Act. It also gets at what we think is one of the worst abuses for all litigants, whether you're, the, uh, uh, whether you're just a citizen whose court is being uh, hijacked by uh, uh, people who come in and just use your or, or by defendants, and that is uh, uh, forum shopping. These are really two of the worst uh, abuses of, of our litigation system. And the Senate is going to take a look at a, at a narrower approach than the, uh, than the House did and really get at interstate uh, forum shopping so that you don't have a person from State A simply parachuting into State B. Uh, and, and, if the, and if he or she does, it could, then, then it would prescribe which uh, venues it, uh, would be appropriate. Uh, and also gets at the, the filing of frivolous claims so that small businesses uh, that, that get shaken down, not for large amounts of money, but relatively, insign- relatively small amounts of money, but it's for, th- for them it's cheaper uh, or for their insurer to settle uh, than to actually push back. Give them some, uh, a remedy so that, they can, uh, so that they don't have to get held hostage to these types of claims. Well, what I want to point out about Lara is that, I mean, about 12 years ago, there was a similar um, setup in place, and it ended up being eliminated because all that it ended up doing was causing more satellite litigation and more unnecessary litigation. I mean, it certainly doesn't serve the purpose that um, its proponents say it does. And also, I think, you know, it's not just us and other consumer groups that are against Lara. It's opposed by the Judicial Conference of the United States, by most judges, by the ABA, I mean, simply because it's yet just another encroachment on the power of the judiciary. I mean, we already have Rule 11 sanctions, and it's in the judge's discretion um, to issue sanctions when appropriate. So I think it's just, you know, one other example of the way that tort reformers are trying to encroach upon, you know, the one branch that's left to represent, you know, the little guy and represent consumers. I mean, I, you know, we already have seen how 
um, industry has influenced, you know, Congress. I mean, it was in the headlines every day, and, we, you know, the ties, the revolving door between federal agencies and industry. And, you know, I think this is just a very calculated, big agenda and of going from one branch to the next, and I think that's Well, you make a good suggestion, and one of the things that we've done is we've talked to the judges, and I think we, and the proposal that I think will come out of the Senate or will be introduced in the Senate is going to be much narrower, and I think the judges will be, will, will have a higher comfort level with it. Um, but I think one of the interesting things about the judges is that, and you mentioned this, uh, is uh, that at the time that Rule 11 was changed back in the early 1990s, mm-hmm. uh, most of the federal judges actually liked the system the way they had it, uh, but it was changed. Uh, so I think judges have a sort of a natural predisposition to the to the circumstances that they that they they have a comfort level with the system as it is. Uh, but I think it's also important, and I, I'd say this very you know we're we're talking to ma- major members of the plaintiffs bar about this because they tell us that that they're not in favor. Uh, of of some of these problems and and they recognize I'm a member of the bar as well it doesn't you know it it reflects badly on all of us who have members of the bar so we are making an effort to 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 try to reach out because this is not this is different from a lot of the other proposals that uh that that we see uh and are doing some outreach to to constituencies that traditionally uh have not been uh supportive of tort reform and we're hopeful that we can find something that will work to benefit those who really are really are at a disadvantage. If you're a small business and somebody walks in and somebody walk, you get a you get a, a claim brought against you, and you know it's frivolous, and it does happen. I don't say every case is frivolous, but it does happen. The insurer for that uh, uh, for that uh, small business, in all likelihood, it could be, will be confronted with a situation where it's cheaper to settle a case than it is to fight it because they have no no ability to really push back. Against uh, it's more expensive simply to go to court and do the go through the initial processes of litigation, and, and that's not right. There should be some mechanism to to balance that system out. We're trying to work with all the constituents, uh, whether it's the plaintiffs bar, talking to certain members of the plaintiffs bar, not all of them, but ones that we we think will 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 take an honest look at the situation, as well as talking to the judges. Well, I, I mean, I'm curious to see what you end up with, and you know, I be happy to evaluate it then. I just think as it stands now, I mean, it seems like the real purpose and what the effect would be would be to discourage lawsuits, which is just what I think a lot of the other, you know, proposals are really geared toward. Um, I mean, nobody's in favor of frivolous lawsuits, and, you know, clearly trial lawyers, as you said, would themselves say that. And but I just think that a lot of these proposals don't really aim themselves at frivolous lawsuits. Well, we're they trying aim to be themselves at a lot of legitimate lawsuits. Targeted with this. Okay. Well, Tiger and Lori, we need to take a short break for our listeners and for our, our commercial sponsors. Uh, we will be right back and hear from you with our final thoughts. I'm particularly interested in following up on the private attorney general issue. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. 
Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And I'm Bob Ambrosi. Uh, we are talking to Lori Beecham from Communications Director for the Center for Justice and Democracy, and also Tiger Joyce, President of the American Tort Reform Association. And Lori, I just want to ask you, I, I know that over the summer, the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court struck down as unconstitutional uh, caps on damages that were imposed on that state. Uh, are, are some of the... Uh, items that we've been talking about today that are coming down the pike for 2006 likely to be challenged on grounds of constitutionality? And, and uh, if so, what do you think is going to happen with these? Are you talking about CAPS proposals? or Well, the asbestos uh, uh, proposal, the uh, uh, obesity laws, uh, uh, and uh, uh, other uh, yeah, they, they might types. very well. I'll tell you one that um, definitely would be would be the health court legislation that's supposed to be set up because I mean we you know from all the research that we could do, there's nothing about it that we think would pass constitutional muster in most states. Um, you know, it takes away the right to trial by jury without giving people much benefit. I mean, what it would do is create a sort of administrative forum that would be biased toward the healthcare industry and um, would not be, as is sort of being touted, it would not be a no-fault situation. People would still have to prove they're calling it an avoidability standard, which is really a negligence standard. So you're taking away people's right to a trial by jury without giving them a quid pro quo um, benefit in return. So that's one thing I definitely think will be challenged constitutionally. And I think, you know, CAPS will continue to be challenged constitutionally in various states. Tiger, out here in California, we have a real problem with uh, Proposition 65, which is a private attorney general statute. California has a law that requires any uh, product that contains a particular chemical. That There's a long list on the state attorney general's website to uh, provide a warning that there are chemicals in the uh, product or the food or whatever that could cause cancer, reproductive harm, or birth defects. And the private attorney general ends up... Uh, you provide notice to the 66 attorneys, uh, dip, district attorneys across the state, and if none of them pick it up, then the uh, individual, usually an environmental group, can sue the business. And like you were talking about earlier, it ends up, you know, there are minor settlements from five to $50,000 uh, 
because the companies can't afford to fight this. Does uh, ATRA have any plans to attack anything along those lines? Well, I think the whole question of empowering, in, whether it's uh, um, the, using the courts as a way to, to regulate and, and the whole balance between uh, enforcement authority and whether you give it to individuals and whether you create a profit motive for, a, for an outside uh, lawyer. I think these are all very important issues that we're focusing on, and, and uh, we're certainly seeing. We're certainly trying to grapple with all the various uh, combinations and, and, and issues. And um, I think that, <clears throat> you know, excuse me, from our perspective, you know, the key is that when you're talking about public safety and regulation, we think that that's best done by people who have not only the expertise, but also the, the authority to enforce the law. There shouldn't be, uh, as we've seen in some instances, uh, law enforcement authority, in effect, kind of delegated out in private litigation. Um, if it's done, it's got to be done extremely carefully. And I don't, from what I'm hearing you say, and I'm not, I'm not familiar with all the uh, particulars of this, it doesn't sound like that's being done uh, in this instance. It, it echoes uh, somewhat of, of the, the situation with your Section 17200 uh, litigation where you had, in effect, kind of no injury, no lawyer, no harm, but yet you can bring claims uh, under a state law as a private, as a private attorney uh, that, that the, uh, the voters in California uh, voted overwhelmingly to, uh, to reform. So absolutely, that's, a, that's, a, that's an important issue. But I wanted to mention one of the, you, since you brought up Wisconsin, I wanted to mention one of the things that was of interest and in, but also probably most great concern to us is the Wisconsin Supreme Court overturned a, a longstanding medical liability statute. And, and I understand that organizations like the Center for Justice and Democracy oppose those uh, issues, and, and we respect that view. I mean, I think it's a, it's a very difficult issue uh, whether you're talking about a court or a legislature, but in particular as a policy issue for a legislature uh, to decide to limit uh, liability. But what we found particularly troubling about the Wisconsin decision uh, was the lack of, of any deference uh, at all, at least from our perspective, by the court to the legislature. They said they found no rational basis uh, for what the legislature did. That is a very... That, that, that's that's basically saying that they had they didn't know anything about what that they what they were doing at the time. Uh, you can disagree with the policy, and people reasonable people do. But I think for the for the court to strike it down on that basis, there are state state constitutions which which plainly don't allow those types of of of, uh, of statutes. I think Arizona is one. Uh, but in this case, it was from our perspective at least, it was a case of the, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin simply. Uh, overruling the legislative judgment uh, of the elected official, other elected officials in that state. Well, I think Lori, do you want to give us a short wrap-up here? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that I think the Supreme Court did consider some very rational and hard evidence. I mean, I think that they considered the fact that um, caps don't reduce insurance premiums. I mean, I guess that's something you can debate about forever, but you know, in our view, and study after study has shown that that's simply not a rational justification for it. Um, and I think, you know, in overturning the legislation, I think that's one of the conclusions they were reaching. And what they mean by not rational is that not that they didn't have grounds, but that the grounds don't pan out. And, I mean, you know, basically I think that the Supreme Court was looking out for in Wisconsin, and we're just looking out for 
people who really just get very, very devastated by these caps. I mean, lives are impacted in a very, very real way. And like Mr. Joyce said, it is very complicated. Nobody's saying it's simple. But imposing caps upon um, non-economic damages really hurts the most vulnerable people, and it doesn't do anything to target frivolous lawsuits. And I, you know, I couldn't say that strongly enough. It's just, um, it's just something we feel very strongly about. Well, on that note, our our time is up. Uh, I would like to thank our guests and let our listeners know that they can find out more information about the American Tort Reform Association at their website, atra.org. And the uh, Center for Justice and Democracy, uh, of course, has a website as well at uh, www.centerjd.org. And uh, thanks to Lori Beecham and Tiger Joyce for being with us on the program today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And goodbye to our guests and goodbye to our, our listeners. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.